you know, with value-based care, we're doing so much to help patients, but it's still looking at how we can do things more efficiently to patients. What Verda is doing is saying, how can we empower patients to take their health into their own hands and transform their lives and unleash their awesomeness so that it's not just value, but again, it's, it's awesomeness. Welcome to the ACO Show. We welcome Dr. David Harrison. Dr. Harrison is the Vice President of Clinical Care at Verda Health, a healthcare startup that helps patients reverse type 2 diabetes without medication using technology, coaching, and carbohydrate restriction. Dr. Harrison joins Josh and Joe for a conversation about the evidence supporting Verda's treatment model and how he views the relationship between telehealth and value-based care during the pandemic and beyond. Welcome to the ACO Show. I'm Josh Israel, a physician and medical director here at Allidate. And we are pleased to welcome David Harrison. David is the Vice President of Clinical Care at Verda Health. And I'm Joe Schunkweiler. I lead adoption and training here at Allidate. And I'm also pleased to speak with David today. Thanks for joining us. Oh my gosh, thank you so much, Joe and Josh. Uh, I'm delighted to be here. Um, we should also note before kicking this off that that Verta Health and Allidade share an investor, a lead investor in our case, uh, Venrock. It's a venture capital fund uh, based in California. So we'll just get that out of the way to, to start here. Um, and so let's get right into it. Uh, David, you you trained at Massachusetts General. You still see patients at, at Mass General in Boston. Um, you've been a physician. You've worked at you are a physician. Excuse me. You've worked at Teladoc. Tell me about your journey. It sounds like an interesting pathway. Yeah, I will have to say that it is a journey that has been filled with surprises. I um, had always imagined myself being a community-based primary care physician with some hospital-based teaching sprinkled in. Um, but I had the really fortunate opportunity to do some contract work with an organization, Best Doctors, which is an expert uh, medical uh, opinion organization. After a few years of contract work, I joined their leadership team uh, and eventually became the vice president of clinical care and really faced the challenging problem of how to deliver clinical quality at scale and how to lead physician teams in a way that holds them accountable for living up to the trust that patients place in them and create a, a culture of ongoing performance improvement. So I was doing all of that work, continuing my clinical practice, and then Teladoc Health acquired Best Doctors, uh, another lucky break. And this really led to me becoming much more immersed in the world of acute care telemedicine. And again, um, faced with the exciting opportunity to lead physician teams, um, drive uh, mission-driven culture, and again, create the clinical quality infrastructure to hold people accountable for consistently delivering excellence. So really a, a challenging, exciting uh, set of roles, um, but it didn't necessarily have the long-term kinds of relationships with patients that I so much enjoy with my primary care work in Mass General. And so at the end of last year, Verda Health contacted me and Verda is an organization that um, dramatically improves and even reverses type 2 diabetes through therapeutic carbohydrate restriction. And they said, hey, David, our physician teams are growing rapidly and we'd love to be able to deliver this kind of clinical quality at scale. Um, I looked at what, they, what they're doing and said, oh my gosh, it is 
it's, it's magical, the kind of outcomes that are being achieved. So if I can be a part of this, this will be, this will be tremendous. And so I joined the Verda Health team um, at the very uh, start of 2020, and it has been an exciting journey ever since. That is, that's fantastic. And, you know, you're on, as you know, with two, two physicians. I don't see patients anymore. I know Josh still sees patients um, fairly regularly. So um, I'm, I'm always impressed when you can do the startup stuff plus see patients, like talk about wearing many hats. So yes, uh, I'm impressed by that. Oh, well, thank you. Wearing many hats and burning midnight oil. But um, as they say, sleep is overrated. And uh, <laughs> right. yeah, I, I will say it's it, it's hard work, but but really, um, I'm, I'm very grateful. It's been, uh, again, I didn't go into my career in medicine with a master's in public health or uh, an MBA. Um, and so being able to take my career in this direction has been uh, uh, really an exciting uh, opportunity. Before we get into Verda Health, which I we're going to talk quite a bit about, I'd love to hear um, just your opinion on the moment we're in right now with regards to telehealth and telemedicine. Um, timing is everything, obviously, and you know we're we're recording this podcast as we're grappling with the long tail of the COVID nineteen outbreak and all the changes to the health system that's brought on. And one of those big changes is a much more widespread acceptance of telehealth at Allidade and, and many other companies that are, are working to help deliver the highest quality care. Give me your, like your, your couple lines on, on this moment for telehealth and what it means. Definitely. So uh, I'm, you know, first the, you know, very sophisticated listenership for this podcast, I'm sure has thought about this issue at length, but um, really telemedicine has been catapulted from the periphery to center stage of the healthcare ecosystem, simply because necessity is the mother of invention. And really the trials and tribulations of the COVID-19 pandemic have forced a pretty remarkable alignment between patient adoption, physician adoption, and regulatory change. So patients who never really would have thought of telemedicine are downloading the apps from the national tel telemedicine companies. Um, physicians' offices and healthcare systems faced with empty waiting rooms because, you know, because it actually became dangerous to go see your doctor. It became a, a risk of infection. Um, to be able to continue delivering care to patients and to capture patient revenue um, uh, had to very quickly stand up and implement telemedicine programs. And I, I'm living through that at Mass General right now. And then the other uh, important part of this kind of triumvirate is regulatory change. And the regulatory change is so massive and widespread. It's almost as if this huge syringe of tranquilizers has been injected into the healthcare system, which just relaxes so many regulations. Um, so state licensing regulations dramatically relaxed by, by essentially all 50 state medical boards. Um, regu HIPAA regulations also dramatically relaxed to facilitate the delivery of telemedicine on additional platforms. Medicare and Medicaid enrollment and, um, uh, uh, you know, enrollment and in-state practice regulations also relaxed. And then added to this dramatic re uh, relaxation of regulations, 
was added perhaps the most important ingredient, which is financial incentive. So with Medicare and then the large majority of private insurers giving reimbursement parity for virtual care services, it took something that was very much niche and made it um, made it very financially favorable to deliver telemedicine. And again, especially when the alternative is looking at an empty waiting room in the standard uh, brick and mortar practice. Yeah, I like what Joe said about the long tail. It has actually just in the past few weeks or perhaps month really started to feel like we are just seeing things differently now. You know, at the start of this COVID business, it felt like, well, we'll just be home for a little bit. I'll, my kids will be at home from school. I'll learn how to bake sourdough bread. And then pretty soon we'll get back to normal. And it's really just becoming apparent that this is going to go on and that things are, are not going to be the same. The telehealth regulations were, were temporarily relaxed, but we are really all going to be having to practice and live in, in new ways. So it's, it's interesting to see how telehealth was positioned to be part of that. It, it is. It is. And I think that one of the most interesting questions, which remains to be seen, I mean, there are, of course, all the questions about what of the emergency uh, measures uh, that were instituted to be temporary, which will be permanent. But I think, especially since we're talking about value-based care, a very important question is, within the world of virtual medicine, who will take up the mantle of value-based care? Will it be the large national telemedicine companies like Teladoc Health and Doc on Demand, which are really, really good at delivering virtual care, but are not yet deeply integrated within the, the EMRs and the lives of the patients who are managing chronic diseases? Or will it be the, you know, the private doctor's offices, the hospitals, the health systems, which have owned chronic disease for all of these decades and, and really own the patient, but are much more taking their first baby steps in the world of telemedicine? Um, and or, or will it be organizations that are disruptive, like, you know, my own Verta Health, which is putting forth new paradigms for delivering chronic disease care? Um, and again, I think uh, it's a very interesting question. It's, it's a huge area, so the, the answer is very likely all three because there's much more work to be done than any single group can do. But it will, it will really be interesting to see how value-based care um, moves into uh, the telemedicine world. So those two things, value-based care and telemedicine, they funnel nicely into this next, next topic, which is tell us about Verda. What's the model? What's the value proposition? Yes, definitely. So as I said, Verda empowers patients to dramatically improve and even reverse diabetes through following a low carbohydrate diet, which seems simple, but I, I promise Joe and Josh, it is, it's magical. It, it's like, you know, in, in over 15 years in Mass General, struggling to do right by my patients who are living with diabetes. I, I've seen nothing that even approaches the effectiveness of Verda. And so essentially what happens is that patients um, are given this, this wraparound experience that has three main pillars. There is technology. So there is a, a platform, an app through which people can submit their, their biomarker data and get you know, immediate feedback and interact that way. There is our medical staff which is tasked with keeping patients healthy and uh, following them over time. 
and then um, our health coach staff who really are the the mentors and the cheerleaders and the people who guide patients day after day on their verta journey and so what actually excites me the most about verta is that we have had to create a new paradigm for chronic disease care i have patients who go from you know blood sugars in the 300s um, and get into the 100s after just several days, despite lowering medication doses. In a few weeks, many patients, even again, if they're coming in on over 100 uh, units of insulin a day, they're, they're on minimal doses or even completely off of it. So it's such a dramatically effective intervention that it wouldn't be safe to administer it using our traditional episodic um, reactive based care, you know, try doing this and I'll see you in a couple of months and we'll reassess. It, it would be unsafe because we'd have tons of people having severe hypoglycemia. So instead we have a continuous remote care model where our medical staff is virtually rounding on the patients every day and making adjustments day by day to keep patients safe as they take part uh, of this, this um, remarkably efficacious uh, in intervention. David, in the era of hydrochloroquine and now oleandrin, anytime I hear anyone making strongly positive claims, I, I just have to ask, well, what's the evidence for those statements? Definitely. So Verda has a tremendous commitment to doing, to always being evidence-based. So actually before it was a company, it started as a, a clinical trial to compare Verda's care to you know, uh, standard community-based care of patients with diabetes. And we saw dramatic differences. Um, we saw that more than 60% of patients after one year were off of all diabetes-related medications. We saw that, you know, because a lot of people say, well, of course, if you don't give patients with diabetes carbohydrates, their blood sugar will go down, but it's not sustainable. But we saw more than 90% retention at one year. And we are now um, closing out our, and soon to publish our five-year clinical trial data results. Um, and, and I will also say that throughout my career, I'm very fortunate to have worked with great people. One of the biggest honors is that right now I work, I'm working with our chief medical officer, Dr. Bob Ratner, who previously was the chief medical and scientific officer for the American Diabetes Association, and will often say with pride that he never um, had been part of any for-profit company. But the, the data, the evidence that um, Verda has produced is so, uh, is so compelling that he, um, he's joined us to lead our research teams and to make sure that we continue to be data-driven as we grow. David, I'm first off on a personal note. Uh, I grew up in a house with adult onset, what we say type one diabetic. So somebody mm -hmm. who was insulin dependent, my father, um, also a physician, you know, very like I have a lot of physicians in my family. So it wasn't like we were naive to the science or the medicine of it, but that the biggest transition for us as a family was that carbs equal sugars for a diabetic, for all of us, but particularly for a diabetic and the way you manage your diet. So, um, you know, the, the model is intuitive from a scientific, you know, pathophysiology mindset, 
but also a significant departure from the way particularly American diets are because they're very carb heavy. And do you find that there's like this aha moment for the folks using the product when they start to think about carbohydrate restriction as it relates to ma uh, managing their diabetes? It, it is, Joe, you're exactly right. And um, the scientific principle is so simple that people with diabetes are unable to compensate for their body's insulin requirements. And when that happens, their blood sugar goes up. When people eat carbs, whether it be eating a bowl of frosted flakes or whether it's eating a bowl of oat bran, carbs will, um, the body requires insulin to metabolize those carbohydrates. However, when eating fat, the body needs zero, carb uh, needs zero insulin. And so essentially by having people adopt a higher fat diet, they dial down their body's insulin requirements to a level at which their body can compensate again and blood sugar normalizes. So it, it absolutely makes physiologic sense. There are those aha moments, but there still is the trepidation because carbohydrates are such a, an integral part of our diet. People say, oh my gosh, does this mean either that I'm sitting around eating carrots all day like a rabbit, or does it mean that I'm spooning lard into my mouth? Is this really sustainable? And that's what's been so remarkable. One of the most exciting aha moments is when people have the combined realization, they understand the basic scientific principle, they realize that the diet and the lifestyle is sustainable. And then, you know, they see very quickly within a few days, they see their blood sugars improving. So that gives motivation. But because there's such a dramatic change in overall well being, less medications, um, uh, more energy, overall health related quality of life is improving, that people have that aha moment and say, life is better than I thought it could be. I feel better than I felt in years. And this is not just um, a three month or a six month intervention, but this is really a change in my life. I'm, I'm not going back to what I was doing before. And that aha moment is, is truly a transformative moment. And, and it, it's that Joe, that's the magic I saw at Verda and said, oh my gosh, if I can be a part of this, 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 this is something I, I really would like to dedicate my career to. How do you think about scaling that intervention? So what's, what's your distribution channel? What's the, you know, how do you get more folks to get that aha moment and that really transformative process in their life? It is a great question. There's not just a single distribution channel. So initially, the um, as with so many telemedicine companies, the initial audience uh, were large self-insured companies where they were on the hook for the cost of care of their employees. And so a, a core part of Verda's value proposition to clients is that the cost of medications go way, uh, goes way down, which is, uh, you know, insulin is so expensive. And now with so many new families of medications uh, for patients with diabetes, SGLT2 inhibitors and GLP-1 agonists, all of these medications are expensive. And so by reducing these, these medication costs, um, clients end up saving money. Also, as both of you, I'm sure, realize as general health improves, as health-related quality of life improves, then utilization of healthcare resources 
goes down and that also saves money. And that value proposition is very attractive to health plans. And so that's become another um, distribution channel. And people can sign up for Verta directly, but it is, um, uh, you know, it's not cheap. It's not cheap for people to do a kind of a direct to, to patient, but direct subscribers actually do constitute our largest pool of patients. And then finally, what we're really looking at is how can we take this continuous remote care model, which, which really does de deliver value-based care. It's all about outcomes. You know, for so many of our health plan clients, we have 100% fees at risk. If we don't make patients better, we don't get paid. So it is true value-based care, but it doesn't really fit a fee-for-service model. So it, it, taking a step back, when I go and I, I have a panel of my own patients at Verda, and when I sit down to do my virtual rounding at Verda, it's not like when I'm at Mass General seeing patients in the office where I might see two or 2.5 patients per hour. Here, I sit down, I have my panel of patients. Um, I go from patient to patient and see graphs of all of their biomarkers. I see symptom lists. And I'm able, um, you know, over the course of an hour, instead of seeing two or two and a half patients, I can be seeing 15 or 20 patients, monitoring them, optimizing their care, keeping them safe. But that kind of model doesn't fit into an ENM coding scheme. So we're really, and so it's a little bit of trying to fit a, a square peg into a round hole, but we're really looking at how we might be able to leverage some of the fee-for-service structure out there to be able to capture more and more patients. When I joined uh, Allidade, um, I was coming from academic medicine and I was very naive about a lot of aspects of business. And in, in particular, I just thought, well, there's this great idea for accountable care organizations will improve health, bring down costs, and every American would be completely behind that. But of course, it turns out there are some vested interests who are doing very well in this current system um, where not all care brings value um, and they're not looking to change. How do you think about that in terms of Verta, in terms of improving glycemic control for patients where you are doing this, this service, but there's a, a massive processed food industry out there at the same time trying to figure out how to make soft drinks saltier so that we'll drink more of them and need more sugar. You know, how, how do you think of this for a service that's a little bit labor intensive for, for each patient when you are up against a system that's doing quite well by having Americans eat and drink a whole lot? So that, that is an excellent question, Josh. And it's one of the things that's really opened my eyes as I joined Verda is in, in the world of food science and the food industries, wow. Um, people are, are intense and passionate. And as people discuss these issues around nutritional guidelines and, and the food industry, the gloves come off and um, things can get pretty heated. And I, I will say that the underlying research that forms the foundation of Verda and the clinical results that have been delivered over the past five years are incontrovertible. And uh, really, I see them as convincing a larger and larger audiences that therapeutic carbohydrate restriction is the intervention that has the most promise in reversing type 2 diabetes across the United States and across the world. And, and, so, and so as we also think about 
these kinds of models of value-based care and how the Verda intervention fits into that. I actually feel, I, and, I, and I, I, I think that value-based care is so important. I feel that Verda takes this concept and actually brings it even one step further to what I like to call awesomeness-based care. Because, you know, with value-based care, it we're doing so much to help patients, but it's still looking at how we can do things more efficiently to patients. Make sure, you know, how can we give them the right medicines to get their blood pressures to go? How can we make sure that they get all the right screenings? What Verda is doing is saying, how can we empower patients to take their health into their own hands and transform their lives and unleash their awesomeness so that it's not just value, but again, it's it's awesomeness. Um, and so I think that that, that model combined with the, um, the powerful science that drives Verda is eventually what's going to be even more that, that we'll be able to, I don't know if it will ever eclipse things like salty chips and sodas and such, but we'll be able to have a real, um, a, a real seat at the table as people think about what directions they want to take their own health and their own lives. David, we started this by talking through your own journey in the healthcare startup universe. And um, I'd like to return to that a bit here and talk about the fact that you're, as I alluded to, you're still seeing patients. And yeah. why, you know, how does that inform what you're, the work you're doing with Verda and how you approach this whole marketplace? Like what is, you know, what is your, your clinical time now contribute to that? Well, it's a great question. I mean, my clinical time does contribute a lot more uh, hours to my work week, um, which is the, the simple part of it. But I think that first, Joe, it really, it contributes something very important personally. And I have um, tremendous respect for so many excellent physician executives who have stepped away from clinical care and are dedicating 100% of their time to advancing their organizations to be as effective as they can be and to help as many people as possible. For myself personally, the commitment of continuing to serve my patients is so important that I've, I've never quite been ready to hang up the stethoscope. And so I will say that one of the main things it gives is a lot of just personal gratification um, and, and makes makes my career that much more rewarding. But I think as I lead physician teams, as I'm a physician executive in, in healthcare companies, I think that this really grounds me in the tremendous privilege of living up to the trust that patients place in us. Um, Companies change a lot, they evolve and different priorities come up and people are balancing, um, you know, should we do this initiative or that initiative? And continuing to care for patients gives me a daily reminder that yes, there are markets out there and there are, are strategies we need to develop. Ultimately, patients always come first. And again, I, I don't think that a physician executive has to continue seeing patients to still put patients first. But for me personally, it, it enables me to do so um, uh, uh, every day that I am doing my, uh, my work as a, as a physician executive. 
I liked hearing about your company, David, that if it works similar to Allidade, um, you will only make money if people's health gets better. So uh, I wish you the best of luck. David Harrison, VP of Clinical Care at Verta Health. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Josh and Joe. I really enjoyed and uh, look forward to uh, further conversations. The ACO Show is produced by Brittany Barnes and Hannah Posner. Our music was composed by Donna Korn. You can listen to previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. ACO Show.